Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm your host, Elaine miller Karras, and today's show is entitled The Diverse Experience of Asian Americans, Hate Crimes to Healing. My guests today, Rena Patel and Kimberly Wong, have worked throughout their careers in the area of equity, diversity, and inclusion. They both are members of the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee of the Trauma Resource Institute. Sparked by the recent shootings in Georgia, this show will look at hate crimes in the Asian American community and honor the diversity of lived experiences within the vast group labeled as Asian American. Rena Patel and Kimberly Wong will be speaking from their respective lens as Indian American and Chinese American individuals whose experiences both overlap and greatly differ in response to events in the last several years, and most recently with the uprise in violent crimes toward Asian Americans. They will explore how the concept of othering creates fear and ultimately endangers individuals and communities who are not considered to be part of the widely accepted American narrative. In addition, they will explore ways to move from othering to us as we look to ways to bring healing to our communities. There are two organizations right now that are compiling data about the increase in hateful crimes and incidents towards Asian Americans. They are the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University and Stop Asian American Pacific Islander Hate. The center released findings in early March demonstrating hate crimes against Asian Americans spiked 149% between 2019 and 2020. The Stop AAPI hate kept track of nearly 3,800 hateful incidents during the first year of the pandemic, and most of them were targeted towards women. But on on March 26, there was a National Day of Action of Healing, and the hashtag Stop Asian Hate trended across the country. Led by Asian Americans, thousands of Americans gathered from Washington, D.C. to California to show their solidarity with Asian Americans. It is my honor to introduce our audience to two powerful voices in the Asian American community. Let me tell you a little bit more about Kimberly and Rena. Um, More detailed bios for both of them are on the website, resiliencywithin.com. I'm going to start with Kimberly. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She received her MSW from UCLA. She has a private practice specializing in trauma with extensive experience working with survivors of sexual and domestic violence. She is committed to um, community social work, and she's worked with a number of organizations, and this is just a, a small smattering. There's more. Peace Over Violence, the LA Gay and Lesbian Center, the Asian American Drug Abuse Program, and she's a member of the LA County Domestic Violence Council LGBT Issues Committee. And she's also, I'm proud to say, a certified trauma resiliency model practitioner and facilitator. Now, Rena is also a licensed clinical social worker, and she earned her MSW from Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai, India, as a Rotary Foundation Ambassador Scholar. She received the NASW Emerging Social Work Leader of the Year for Arizona's Chapter Branch 2 in 2018. Ms. Patel has worked with the Trauma Resource Institute since 2016, and she most recently traveled to India with me, actually, um, 
And she was a part of the launching of the Sea Learning Program that was inspired by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And she currently is the clinical manager at Old Pueblo Community Services, a housing first and harm reduction organization. Welcome, Kimberly and Rena. And as we get started, is there anything on your mind that you want to begin with? And I'm going to start with Kimberly. Well, I think that what's really been on my mind this past past week um, is George Floyd and the um, the trial uh, against Chauvin, the um, police officer who killed him. And I think that and I bring this up because as we're today, as we're focusing on the experiences of Asian Americans uh, and uh, the hate crimes against AAPIs, I think it's really important to acknowledge the that this exists in the broader context of um, racism and oppression against many different people, you know, other people of color, the black brown community, um, as well as just other groups. And that I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think it's important to stand in solidarity uh, and speak up and out against all forms of oppression, regardless of whether or not you identify with the group. And that's really, it's really been on my mind. I, I couldn't, uh, not um, do this without acknowledging, you know, the losses and uh, the trial, the current trial. Um, Thank you, Kimberly, for, yeah, for bringing that in. I, I know I've been watching it myself, and one of the things that also struck me was the incredible empathy of the people who witnessed the horror of his murder. And with all the, the hatred that we see, um, that's also been something that's touched me deeply. Um, to see how much compassion, how many people called 911 and said this, there's something terrible happening. But thank you for bringing that into our discussion today. So now, sure. Rena, anything on your mind as we're starting our time together? Yes, thank you, Elaine, and thank you, Kimberly. I, you know, Kimberly, I, you know, you you said those words um, about George Floyd, and I, you know, I I concur, and I I am with there with you in terms of under, you know really paying homage to all of the lives that have been lost in terms of hate um, in this country and what that looks like. And, you know, something that's been on my mind that I also want to just say up front is that even what we're talking about today, that in this moment um, for Asian Americans, you know, that I I do want to make sure I give space to you, Kimberly, um, being Chinese American, the folks that are, that are really being attacked right now and in the past year in response to what's happened with COVID um, and the anti-Asian um, sentiment are people that look more like you than the people that look like me mm-hmm. as a South Asian woman. And so, you know, I want to acknowledge that and create space because I know that the experience that, that's happening for you right now may be different than what's happening for me. And, and that's just really important. It's on my mind um, as we move forward in this conversation. Thank, thank you, Rena. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I'm going to ask both of you a question. And during these challenging times, as we get started, is there anything that's helping you get through right now? Um, I'll start with Kimberly again. Is anything helping you get through? I mean, I think being here is is one of those things. Um, I forgot to thank you. I am honored and um, to be asked as a, as a guest to be on your show to talk about these important issues. And I'm also excited to be um, doing this with Rena. Um, and part of what's getting me through is working with people who have um, similar beliefs and who are working towards um, fighting against oppression. 
And so part of what gets me through is um, working in the equity, diversity, and inclusion committee of TRI. And that um, TRI felt this was really important to do and started this I, uh, committee probably about five years ago. Yes. Maybe four. I'm not exactly sure. I, I think sure you were at long. the first meeting. Yeah, so the, TRI is the Trauma Resource Institute. So thank you. Thank you for that. And I think that um, I just want you both to know that um, as long as I'm doing the show, you'll always have a voice here. <laughs> and so, Rena, what, what about you? Is there anything in particular that's helping you get through right now? You know, I, I look at, I'm looking at Kimberly right now, and I think, you know, the work that we've been doing on this committee and the Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Committee with Trauma Resource Institute, it has been such a sacred space, I would say, for, for those of us that are engaged in this work, um, that, you know, it seems like every other week there's something else now that we're having to grapple with and work on and figure out and process and to have a space to come to every week. Um, has been invaluable, honestly. And, and, and now having um, this shared, this just this collective and shared um, joy around just being able to, to be with one another as well and be being there for one another. Like I would consider now Kimberly a sister, you know, in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, you know, and it's because of this work that now we're, we're being able to be together. So that's been so, very helpful. So we can't, we can't say enough about the importance of relationship. And how we build relationships that bring us together as, in, in common goals and as, as, a, as humans, as humanity. I had on my, my show last week, uh, um, Joy Miller, who did her work on the Holocaust. And mm-hmm. um, I, for some reason, I want to share this again. And she said, I said, well, and she actually um, um, investigated how women got through being in Auschwitz and the mm-hmm. different camps. And it was because of love and relationship. And so when I see the two of you have now become sisters and see that the love that exists between the two of you, I think that's why I wanted to bring that forward too, because I think maybe that's also part of what we need more of in the country um, when we talk about these, these very serious issues. And so I want to segue now to um, the reflections um, on the recent shooting in Atlanta, Georgia. And I know it's been difficult as a, as a Asian American women. And when we see the statistics are directed, much of the violence is directed towards women. I think there there were five Korean Americans that were killed in the in in Georgia. So, Kimberly, would you like to start and let us know about your reflections about this? Yes. Um, so, I think that I, I'm glad you brought you were talking about how a lot of targets have been women, and I do want to say that, like in this in this uh, hate crime, racialized violence, the targets were. Asian women, and this really brings together the intersections of identities of ethnicity and gender that I think are really important to um, acknowledge. Asian women have often been viewed as submissive, um, exotic, and they've often been fetishized and sexualized. And these kind of elements, I think, in some ways came up in this. Um, it was, it's a hate crime in that it really affects not only obviously the people who were murdered and killed, but it, because it was targeting Asian women, it, and the Asian community, that it brings on a certain fear and community trauma, even, and can feel very personal. And, um, even though it didn't happen to, like, for example, didn't happen to me. And, 
some of the interesting things about this uh, that um, came up is the 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 man who who shot the women. He 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 went to three different massage businesses that were Asian run, and um, he said that he had a he admitted to police later that he had a sex addiction as a, and that he wanted to essentially get rid of the sex addiction and it was blaming this community or blaming these businesses for that. And um, so I just, so, you know, that, that is something that's really upsetting and, and it is essentially blaming the survivors. The other piece I think is really um, was very upsetting was when the sheriff talked about it because the sheriff brought that up. This is how we know that the shooter had said he had a sex addiction is that he basically, the, the sheriff said that um, the shooter had a really bad day and that he very much humanized the shooter. Not that of course he's human, but so were, these, so were the victims. And, but the emphasis was on the shooter being, having a bad day and having a sex addiction, really minimizing the violence and minimizing the um, racialized violence that went along with that. So when, as you say that out loud, I mean, there's the horror of what happened and then there's an additional aggression that can happen in terms of the way the officer responded. And I think that's a really important thing to highlight because I think sometimes people don't realize that, oh, well, he, he was this or he was that, but what he did was against the Asian American community and in particularly women. Yes. Right, Asian women. And then the the other piece that I wanted to mention as part of the um, stereotypes or how Asian women are perceived is, again, being sexualized. Um, regardless of, uh, like, I think that he was coming, the, the perception, his perception, not the reality necessarily, is that there were in some ways sex workers. They may not identify in that way, they, you know, but that's the perception that also is very much tied to that right? as well. Yeah. And that's kind of in the, in the broader macro system way that is something that's perpetuated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Rena, um, and how, what is your reaction? Do you have anything to add to what um, Kimberly has already stated? You know, um, Kimberly, thank you. The, um, you know, I think the, the points you bring forward are, you know, things that have been on my mind as well, and specifically with Asian women and what that looks like. And something I just want to add is that when, you know, looking at the media coverage of what's happened as well, it was really striking to me. And it really goes to this piece of othering um, this blanket ethnic gloss term of what Asian American really is. And I couldn't even find what ethnic group these women belong to for the, for several are, I mean, I really had to really dig to understand who are we, you know, where's this violence being targeted? Who are these, who are these individuals? And my, you know, my heart goes out to their families and their loved ones and to not even recognize, like really understand the entirety of what was going on in this community and what community we were even talking about. And so that was really striking to me. Um, Again, the bigger piece of of how Asian Americans are understood, I think, in the United States and what that even looks like and what that means um, that it, you know, we weren't even able to articulate what specific community this was within the Asian American community. Um, yeah. So as you say that, Rena, it's like, it's in terms of like being valued as part of, of America it would be to, to acknowledge that what you're saying. And that was another aggression. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that kind of segues into our, our next question, and it's how are Asian Americans scapegoated when Americans feel threatened by outside forces? So, Kimberly, do you want to start with that? Well, I think, I mean, in some ways, what's happened since the whole, when you talked about Stop AAPI Hate, that that organization came together on March 19th of uh, 2020 in, in regards because of the increasing violence that was already starting to occur um, against people of Asian descent or who appeared Asian. And um, so I think in some ways, like, Asian Americans right, have been scapegoated on COVID, you know, regardless Absolutely. of, I mean, that's, that's what's happening. I think you said it was 149% increase. Yes. And it's now being talked about. Obviously the shooting was, was a horrific um, thing that occurred recently, but the reality is, is the increases of hate crimes towards or Asians being targeted has started way back in March, which is why they started the organization. And um, I remember just personally feeling um, a little uncomfortable. I was starting to, I was starting just as a walking in the world, starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and just, and, and some, and there was some fear attached to it. So I think that's a, another important thing. And, you know, in our show, we often talk about neuroscience and um, how um, the fear response um, operationalizes in all of us. So as we watch something like that happening on the news, and even though, as you said earlier, it didn't happen to me personally, but it did happen to us because we as human beings, there's something called mirror neurons and mirror neurons that we see the suffering of others and we internalize that. And when it's something like a hate crime, then we can start feeling a bit more hypervigilant and fearful even though it hasn't happened to us. And I think it's an important thing if we have um, Asian Americans that are listening or people of color going, why am I so nervous? Why do I have this hypersensitivity? Because we're designed for survival. That's the way we're, we were created. And so that, that fear response is a part of the brain called the amygdala that starts to fire and saying, oh, guess what, Kimberly, you're in danger right now. It doesn't necessarily make sense because maybe it's the neighborhood that you've always lived in and you, f- you felt safe enough. But now it's saying, well, how do I know that? Um, if it could talk, right? But it's, it's a biological process and it's about keeping you safe. So anyone that's listening, really important that you understand that that hypervigilance may be more amplified right now because of what's happening. So I'm going to go to Rena next and say if you, if you see what you would like to, to respond to that question as well. Is how yes. are Asian Americans scapegoated? Yeah. Yes, thank you, Elaine. Um, you know, I, I want to speak a little bit to historically how Asian Americans have been scapegoated in our country. You know, if we think about, I mean, even long before World War II, but if we take World War II as an example and what happened to Japanese Americans, yeah. right? We, we had someone coming off our shores and there was a threat perceived to the American ideal or to American soil. And so in that moment, Asian, Japanese Americans were very much targeted and scapegoated. Um, at 9-11, and I can speak to that personally, um, in Mesa, Arizona, um, Balbir Singh Sodhi was the, one of the first men um, that were shot in, a hate, in the hate, series of hate crimes after 9-11 towards Arabs, Sikhs, and Muslims. And he actually was down the street from where we lived in Mesa, Arizona. He owned a gas station. 
Um, and he was planting a garden actually when the, when the folks came in and they shot him and killed him. Um, and he had just donated to the to the, to the victims of nine 11, actually, um, September 15th. So it was just a few days after. And I remember that really clearly. And I remember what you're talking about, Elaine, with the amygdala and what happened to my body. I mean, at that time I was, you know, I was in high school, but we had a small business and my, my dad put an American flag outside of our business for the first time. And I remember watching him and thinking, you know, dad, why are you doing this? And he said, well, I need them. I need them to know that we're not one of, one of the people that they need to be hurting. And, and I remember being really struck by that. And, um, and as you, as again, with the brain and the body, you know, we were, my family was hypervigilant for quite some time going to the same grocery stores and neighborhoods that we would typically go to just did not seem the same. And I do think at, at that moment, Asian Americans that looked like me happened to be scapegoated, right? People that appeared Arab or Muslim or Sikh. Um, and in this moment now, we're seeing, you know, our, our, our Asian American siblings that look Chinese American or East Asian, right, are being scapegoated at this moment. And so to me, you know, when I think about that question of scapegoating, I really think about that the concept of otherness, right? We usually scapegoat communities that are not ours, that are that are other or different than us. And so that kind of um, your response is actually kind of segue to the next question. You've, you've partially answered it, but I think I want to ask it just to see if there's more that you want to say is how do these events, hate crimes impact not only individuals, but communities and how they interact with the narrative being American. And I think you've just stated some of that, Rena, but there may be more, Kimberly, that you want to say about that. I mean, um, I think, again, I, I don't have, I mean, you said that so beautifully, uh, Rena. So thank you for that. Um, I, I think, again, that it does feel when it's a crime against a community, someone, a hate crime, that someone's targeted because of their perceived group. It does instill certain fears, as you mentioned, like in the nervous system. There's also grief and sadness, and it's also as if sometimes it's um, that we experience these things personally. Um, and so I think that, that that just becomes important. I can't tell you the number. I'm a therapist, and the number of clients that I see, and I see a range of people, a lot of people of color, um, but not all. And the Asian clients that I've seen have been upset in a way that's so much different than the other clients I've seen. So um, I think that that's important. And some of the, I, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but some things that have come up is uh, like this sense of not belonging. And I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about that, about being American, but that we are not often seen as American. We're seen as Chinese. Yeah, or we're seen as foreigners, mm-hmm. no matter how long we've been in this country. And yeah, I do want to say one. Oh, go ahead. Can I say yes, just one, one other thing, which is that, you know, while we may be immigrants, I also think it's really important that most of us are immigrants. Um, you know, unless you're an indigenous person, Native American person, we all are immigrants in this country. Yeah, and I was, as, as I was um, hearing you both speak, I was thinking about um, Japanese Americans who were interned during World War II, and um, German Americans were not. Right. So that you see the distinction between people of color and, um, mm-hmm. and, and people who are seen, again, as, as being othered and how the treatment is different. And I, 
And I think that, you know, I always thought when what happened with the Japanese Americans, and here I'm a, you know, um, a person who definitely has had advantage being a white person, thinking, oh, that would never happen again. But I have to say that with the things that have been happening in the last few years, um, my uh, it's, that's a little bit of a shaken belief now. And I think it's something where those of us that work with trying to bring people together have to really be um, stalwart in saying, how can we create these dialogues of giving people voice so that these things don't happen again? Um, I, when we come back from our break, um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, how do we acknowledge and hold meaningful space for diverse voices uh, within the group labeled Asian, Asian Americans as well. So, um, We'll come back and maybe talk a little bit more about that. I know that you have a lot more to say, and I'm hoping that when we come back from the break as well, that maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the resources that um, you've developed um, to share with our audience. Because I think just even about if you're a spectator, how to respond. You know, I know I've been in situations like that where I have felt really a lot of anger and also always wondering, well, if I say something, well, they target me as well. How do I say it in a way that would be the most productive to, to have a voice, to make a stand? Because I fear silence. And I think that if we are silent about these things right now, that we're just going to perpetuate um, and that's why you both having voices and your communities having voices to me personally are so important is how we, how do we change these dialogues? So with that, um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, our guests, um, Kimberly Wong and Rena Patel will continue their discussion about the very important um, experiences of Asian Americans right now. And we'll talk a little bit about healing and what do we need to do? Or I'm really interested in your perspectives of how do we create the us and get rid of otherness, if that's possible. Wouldn't that be nice? Thank you so much. And we'll be back in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine Miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. I'm Elaine Miller-Karish, your host, and I'm here with Kimberly Wong and Rena Patel, and we are going to continue our, our very meaningful discussion about um, the, the violence that has been directed towards Asian Americans, and most importantly, how can we, how can we start some dialogue that changes some of the, the vitriol and the hatred that we've seen? So the question is, how do we acknowledge and hold meaningful space for the diverse voices within the, this group? labeled Asian Americans. So how do we do that? So Rena, do you want to start with, with um, first? Sure. Um, thank you for that question, Elaine. I, you know, in the work that we do with the Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Committee, some of the research I came across around social exclusion and the impact on our brain has been really fascinating to me. Um, our amygdala, as you were talking about earlier, perceives social exclusion as a threat, which makes sense, right? If we really are meant to live tribally and communally, right, that if we're excluded from our group, that we would perceive that as threatening and our cortisol would rise and we would have that same stress response. And so I think about that a lot with the Asian American community, because if we are walking in this experience of otherness, of feeling different or feeling excluded, as Kimberly had talked about, this perpetual foreigner feeling, then that social exclusion can constantly be something that we're experiencing. Um, And so I wanted to just put that out there because, you know, for my Asian American folks that are listening that, you know, sometimes you may be feeling a heightened stress response when you walk into a room, you might be wondering where that's coming from. Well, some of those pieces are real because we're constantly being told that we're not part of this country or we're not part of this narrative. Um, And I think holding that meaningful space and saying, yes, we are, you know, my relationship to this land, to this country is going to be different than my Native American brother or sister or my African-American brother or sister, but I do have a relationship to this land and I value very much being here and what I have to contribute to the people around me. And I think having those spaces, you know, I, I think I wish that somebody would have talked to me about that when I was younger and it, and, and it started to unravel those myths around what it meant to be Asian and this, and this model minority myth, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, I think having more spaces where we give Asian Americans voices. So Elaine, what you're doing today on your show, it, it just, it feels huge to me, actually, just to be able to talk about the fact that Kimberly and I are from two different communities. Mm-hmm. And we, yes, we do have overlapping experiences, but we also have very different lived experiences. But Americans probably see us lumped in one category. And so it's just, you know, walking with that um, in our identity is just so it's so important to give that voice. I would love to see more Asian American stories, narratives, um, opportunities like this, um, you know, really educating yourself about the different communities that do exist in the United States that are considered Asian American. And there's so, so, so many, many different languages, cultures, beliefs, um, economic status. I mean, it's just it's vast. It's, it, and so holding that meaningful space, I think we could start doing that even in our schools and what that looks like. Um, but yeah, those are just some of my initial, my initial thoughts is, you know, I, 
I really just think even being able to hear narratives from different lived experiences in the Asian American community can be so powerful. Well, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the truth and value of, of truthful history, because the histories that we often um, learn in school don't include the histories of people that you're saying have been othered, right? right. Or they're mm-hmm. marginalized in the, even in our, in our books and how we learn about how we're, um, I can remember when I was a kid, we were called a melting pot, which to me seems anything but that. Um, right. But that's what was um, broadly taught to my generation of, of children. So how do we change those histories and how do we get that um, like you said, if you wish you would have learned as a child. Because I think that part of the dialogue, um, in my perspective, is the voice of children. And how mm-hmm. do we bring children into this conversation? But I want to give um, um, Kimberly an, an opportunity to respond to that that question as well. So, Kimberly, do you have anything to add to what um, Rena has said? Um, I, I think creating space, well, again, like you um, invited us both to be on this show and you created space. And to acknowledge that there are different lived experiences, um, because all too often with many groups, there are various like stereotypes or ideas, and then it becomes a single dimension of who you can be. And we are, we are, we have. There's so much richness and diversity um, amongst everyone, and in within and within the Asian American community. I think um, something else, I think being open, having discussion, listening, because a lot of times people are told like who they are, you know, the story of who you are as a a person. And something I wanted to also acknowledge, and I'm just going to do a a short note, because this is some things that you can do. Um, And and again, it's being perpetually a foreigner no matter how long we've been here, is that we're often not seen as American. And, you know, I'm third generation, meaning my grandparents immigrated. My parents were born in L.A. I was born in L.A. Um, but, but like my, you know, people who are of European descent typically aren't asked questions like, where are you from? Or um, things like that. And a lot of what's happening is um, that I'm hearing a lot is people of Asian descent Asian Americans are not have the sense of not belonging so creating space that you belong and there's some very like small little things that can be done that are like really well-meaning people don't realize they are contributing to this sense of being of feeling like I don't belong and um, for example I just very hopefully very briefly I was talking to a friend um, a few years ago that a longtime friend and I was probably talking about some sort of, she's a white American, um, and talking a little bit about my experience being Chinese. And she said, well, it must be so hard um, to not be American. And, mm. right. Now, she is a compassionate, <laughs> per- oh she's a compassionate person, caring, well-meaning, not trying to be harmful. But I'm saying this because, and I'm just hoping that listeners out there can be thinking about the fact that the words matter, you know, that I, you know, I'm, I'm from here. I've never been to China. Um, You know, my parents didn't go to China until they were adults because they were, you know, both born here. And so it's just small, subtle things that we might not think about. 
And granted, these are things that are ingrained from a long time ago. And um, so to actively actively question what you're doing, I think, becomes important. And kind of going back to how do you hold space? Right. In terms of just making that comment, again, an empathic person, but said, oh, it must be hard not to be American. You know, you're reminding me of something that's a little bit, my mother, um, you both may know, immigrated from El Salvador. And she had a very, very thick accent. And I've just never thought about this before, but people would always say to her, where are you from? And she would respond very in a very feisty, fiery way that as a little kid used to embarrass me. But she'd say, I am American. And she would, I mean, she was very proud of being an American. And that was a choice that she made to come to this country, which, you know, when people come from to this country from other other places, there's reasons why they came. And I think for her, it was um, it was a personal affront to uh, to her when they would just hear her accent and then make a determination. So I think you're talking about the same thing and no wonder she had that reaction. And I think that's something for us all to think of maybe as other ways to, to um, if we do hear someone who does have an accent, not to make an assumption about what that means. So, um, and I want to just say, Rena, I know we've had this conversation. You want to say anything more about this? I mean, but this is um, really dynamic. Well, I, you know, I, I, I have a similar experience to Kimberly. Again, we, we both look very different, but it is, it's, as you said, Elaine, you know, we have people in our families or in my family with accents, people who look differently. And it really brings to life this question of who, you know, who is American and what does American look like? <laughs> you know, and I, I would love for, I, speaking of children, I would love for kids to be able to explore and unpack and celebrate what that is from a younger age. Like, what does it really mean to be American or look American, right? It's just. Well, maybe that will happen someday. Maybe it's already happening. And I mean, I think that the, you know, we both um, love the C learning program and I think they're trying to, to uh, generate ideas of compassion and ethics and how children look at that. And I think part of this, that this is part of the discussion, but, you know, we've been using the word othering and, um, and I was, um, I know that some people don't know what that means. I know we've alluded to it, but I think it might be worth a little discussion about what does it, Othering is, we see it a lot now in the literature. We see it in our conversations, those of us that are in in the psychotherapeutic um, areas, um, social science. So could you tell us, can you give us um, a definition of what othering means? Kimberly, I don't, um, I can speak a little bit to just some thoughts on that. Um, So othering, you know, I don't have a formal definition in front of me, but, you know, when I think about othering in this context, it's practices, uh, principles, systems, laws um, that exclude a group of people purposefully or intentionally. So I think the intentional part is really important here because um, it's one thing to other when you don't really know or you don't mean to, right? That's, that's one form. But when you're othering intentionally, now we're looking at forms of oppression. We're looking at systemic racism, we're looking at structural powers, right, that, that want to exclude other groups. And so I, I put the word intentional in there because othering in this context, I feel like is intentional, right? So when we talk about the response in World War II to Japanese Americans versus German Americans, when we talk about what's happening with people um, during this time of COVID and where, where that anger and that hate is being directed towards, I think it's a very intentional othering. Just to kind of go with policy stuff, um, I had wanted, many people have heard of like one of the first um, 
immigration laws that targeted a community, and it's the 1982 um, Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, did I say 1982? It was 1882. I, I mean, 1882. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, which was excluded, trying, um, was a targeted group excluding Chinese laborers. Um, but what I found out very recently is, as kind of as, as we've been having more of these discussions is that there was an earlier, um, earlier immigration law that was targeting ch single Chinese women in 1875 called the Page Act. I had not heard of it and it was kind of interesting because I think that there are some parallels to what happened to the shooting in the sense of an, an Asian, Asian women being targeted. And they were targeted because they were viewed if they were, if they were single immigrating to America that there was this perception that they were sex workers or going to be sex workers. And um, so they were excluded for that reason. And what I was reading is that um, some of the public perception was say, going back to scapegoating is that the um, Chinese women specifically who were sex workers um, were um, spreading sexually transmit transmitted infections, um, unlike their white counterparts. Like, so they were viewed as a spreading STIs. And so that's why there was this um, immigration act. And so I was thinking about like how interesting about, mm -hmm. about um, that kind of scapegoating and then some of the um, and perpetuation of some of the ideas of Asian women. Right, and I think what's, what shame. I also was um, reading, preparing for the show, there's been cases um, where um, a Chinese child, Chinese American child, was not allowed was not allowed to go to a, a certain event because of the fear that a Chinese descended person might be spreading the virus to the rest of the right. children. So I think it's important to know that these things are happening today. Not only did they happen in 1875 and 1882, and so you know how how is that little person? who was excluded because of, of really words that were coming out of politicians in calling something, as, uh, I don't even want to say the words because I don't want to promulgate that here, um, mm -hmm. about the virus. Um, so yeah. I think we, we really need to be cognizant of that, of how we speak. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I thought you were done. Go, no, go ahead, Kimber, please. Just one one thing that I also think is really, really important in thinking about the othering to us is that historically, quite often, um, groups that have been oppressed have been pitted against each other. And so that creates divisiveness. And um, so kind of, I started and when you asked me what's on my mind and one of the things I, I talked about is, Dan, and you, you yourself, Elaine, mentioned, the standing in solidarity. Yes. And I do think that it becomes so important to have solidarity. And, you know, you also mentioned just like standing with our brothers, sisters, and non-binary sibs, you know, uh, who come from different groups, who are mm -hmm. different religions, who are different ethnicities, races, um, orient sexual orientation, genders. Uh, and that's part of bringing, like, going to us and being able to, to acknowledge um, and honor and respect our different lived experiences, to be open and listen, um, kind of thinking about holding that space. Because 
we're all part of this larger community trying to fight, you know, oppressive forces. And that brings me to another question, and that is, can you talk about your own lived experiences as part of the diversity within Asian Americans, and are there aspects that are unique to the experiences of being Asian in America? And I know you wanted to talk about the model minority myth as well. So, which Wena, would you like to go first with this one? Sure, I can. Um, and I want to speak to something that Kimberly said. This is something sure. that I know we've been working really hard on in the equity, diversity, and inclusion work that we've been doing. Is I want to I want to take this moment and space to also acknowledge the anti-blackness that's even in in my community as as South Asians. You know, we, you know, being able to acknowledge that these things exist within our communities of color that we all are we are a place differently. Um, on this spectrum of, of racial trauma and this violence and this hate. And I want to acknowledge that I also have privilege in this aspect as well, that I, my experience is not going to be the same as, um, you know, as a, as a black woman, you know, or, uh, or, you know, somebody who's not cisgender and who identifies native, you know, and it's, so I just, I want to be able to acknowledge that space because I think that's a lot of the work that we're doing is if we're going to move towards us, we need to also recognize where we are, do a lot of healing work around that as well. Um, can I, so, Irina, can yeah. I ask you just for clarification? Absolutely. Our listeners may not know what, a cis, what cisgender means. Can you just give a brief de- yes. definition? So cisgender is when your gender um, matches, I guess, you're also your sexual orientation. Um, and so your sexual identity and your gender match. So if you identify as male um, and then you also identify, um, if your gender is male and, you, and your sexual identity is also male. So that would be cisgender. So for me, I identify as a cisgender woman and I identify as female. Um, and so, uh, so thank you, Elaine, for that, um, for, for that pause. And so I, I, I want to acknowledge that in the work that we're doing and, you know, and that is part of, I think, how, I know my experience as a South Asian woman, to your question, Elaine, is that I didn't understand that there was so much divisiveness within communities of color that, you know, I was socialized to have certain feelings around maybe the Hispanic population or the Black population. I didn't know that that those were things that existed even within my community until I was older and I realized that there was so much divisiveness even within our own communities, you know, and that was really eye-opening to me. And I, it has really been helpful for me in this journey on equity and diversity and inclusion and what that looks like. And so, Kimberly, would you like to add to what um, Rena's talking about right now? Um, well, thank you. I, I agree. And thanks so much for sharing about that, because I do think it's, that is a lot of the work that we're doing. Um, and this is what gives, gives me hope is that we, um, we you know, want to invite people to be able to look within themselves and to look at the ways and things that they were raised with and to challenge some beliefs, you know, um, that beliefs or um, behaviors or language that may be contributing, contributing to a person's own internal biases because we all have it and it's okay. I think what's not okay is not doing something about it and, and, mm-hmm. and not challenging it. And this is where the dialogue, I think, comes in. 
the, um, that you've been talking about all along, yeah. about how we come together. We may look differently, yeah. but if we can start having the dialogue, even talking about, well, as a, as someone, your parents came from India, right? And, and, and so you were born here. My mother came from El Salvador. Yeah. I was born here. I'm not sure how many generations back your, your family came, but we all, all of our families came from someplace else, right? Yeah. And if we come together and we start you know, discovering, you know, some of the, the histories. And I imagine that some of them, too, might have some commonalities, too, in the experience of yeah. first coming. And I know my mom didn't speak English when she first came to this country, and she had to learn it. And there was a woman named Elaine who was a waitress at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco that taught her um, how to speak English. And guess what my name is? <laughs> little stories that, that come through, yeah. right, as, as, as we have these lived experiences. You know, and get, one of the things go ahead. I think you had asked, I think, about our diverse, or our, um, the question was a little bit about how there might be diversity within ourselves. Yes. I think it was something like that. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go on with that, which okay. is, which makes, makes uh, you know, some of the diversity is illustrated in just like our Im- immigration and like from where we're coming, like the fact that Rena's parents, I think, were immigrants, and mm-hmm. with my grandparents that are immigrants. And what that means is we have different experiences as Americans because, like, Rena probably, like, I, well, let me, I won't speak for Rena, but um, <laughs> maybe Rena can speak to it. But I know that quite often people who are um, born of, in a, you know, with parents who are immigrants are have to, having to straddle cultures, you know, a, a lot of, you know, because there's more connection and ties with the um, the ethnic culture or the from the place because the parents are bringing that over. And so I, so I think that that's a difference that comes up or is part of diversity and um, is the, the generation. And Norena, do you want to um, add to that as well? I think there's difference, differences in the generations and um, being born here or coming here as an immigrant. Yes, I think, um, thank you, Kimberly, for mentioning that, because when you, when folks are, those of you that are listening are working with Asian Americans in whatever capacity or have colleagues or friends um, are really trying to create space of belonging, generational factors are a big piece of understanding Asian American communities, right? What, where you land on that generation spectrum can really make a difference with your experience um, and what that looks like. And, and like, as Kimberly was saying, straddling those, uh, both cultures, and what that what that ultimately means for that individual, Elaine? Can I? I do want to. I don't know if we have time to talk about that model minority myth. Yeah, please go ahead. We do have a little bit of time. <clears throat> so I I just want to I could because I think a lot of uh, your listeners I think it would be important for them to know that that term actually came about in the '60s in 1966 in a New York Times article. And really what that term was referring to, the model minority, are Japanese Americans that were successful despite the discrimination they were being faced with. And I think it's super interesting because if we think about what was happening in our country during that time, during the civil rights movement, it was essentially a way to say, don't be like those people of color over there that are using their voices 
to get what they need and get their right and get their human rights met and to make sure they're living in equity. But be like these people of color over here that are being quiet and, and putting their head down and working hard. So I encourage you all to look up this article, this New York Times article from 1966. Um, I believe the sociologist was William Peterson. And, you know, I just encourage you to educate yourself about what this model minority myth is, because really, it's not something to be proud of. Honestly, it's something that we should really be speaking up against and to use our voices as Asian Americans and say, no, this is not true. You know, we have varied experiences in our community and we refuse to be quiet. We want to make sure that people in this community also are getting their needs met and that we belong. I, I love what you're saying, that we belong. We only have a few minutes left, and I want to give Kimberly, is there any parting word that um, you would like to, to say to add to what Rena just said? Um, I mean, I don't think I have anything to add, uh, except the one thing I, uh, in regards to that is, I think that was like, a, again, a way to pit groups against each other. And what you I've know, heard the two of you today is how do we come together and not pit groups against each other? I'm hoping that each one of you can tell me one resource that would be important for maybe our listeners to be able to, um, to learn from. We just have a couple minutes left. So um, Rina, I'll start with you. What is one resource that might be helpful? So for those of you that are in California, the South Asian network um, is a great organization that works with South Asian individuals, um, LGBTQ plus individuals in the South Asian community, also mental health services that are very culturally specific and linguistically specific. And I, um, so I just encourage you to check out their website, southasiannetwork.org um, and to, to familiarize yourself with those, okay, those great. services. And then Kimberly, can you tell, share one with us? Yeah, I mentioned um, Stop AAPI Hate, I think is really um, an important one. And while it's a place for reporting um, hate crimes, if you go into the menu, there's a bunch of resources and it talks about um, what to do if you're a bystander. Uh, it, there's links to other organizations that they're collaborating with on bystander trainings. So this is, again, about how, how do we come together? Thank and you. Stand and stand up for one another. And what is the website again? Can you say it one more time? Stop AAPIHate.org. So okay. okay. And I and I just want to thank both of you for, for being on the show and for your thoughts and for your your voices. And as we close today, I want to remind our listeners, how can you be a part of changing the dialogue of discrimination in your community? Maybe it starts in your household. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's at your your synagogue or your church um, or whatever uh, community that you belong to where you gather. And remember the power of one um, and what else can be true. Each one of you are one person. And here we ha- hear Kimberly and, and Rena sharing their voices with us. And, maybe, and I imagine you could have a voice to share as well. So thank you for joining us with Resiliency Within. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 